Do you hear that coming in? I did. I think it was coming from your speakers into your microphone, down the feed, through my mixing desk, into the recording platform. I should get rid of that, really, shouldn't I? Ah, it's all right. I've got digger noises in the background of mine, haven't I? So, um, shall we? Let's do it. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. I'm I'm going to be unconventional here, JB. I'm going to drop the good overnight because only for this episode, because whilst everyone's in lockdown, I doubt many people are listening to us on their planes whilst flying overnight. Um, Unless someone is laying in bed at night thinking, I know what I want. I want to listen to Anton JB with the Global Leadership Podcast. I don't think that's going to happen during this period. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think that's that was how it originally happened, wasn't Mm. it? We were about people on a plane Mm. um so it's sort of like through the night for those sad people who wake up at three in the morning for a three o'clock pee and i think well actually do you know what i ought to do i ought to listen to ant and jb banging on about global leadership because that will get me off won't it it will it will um anyway hello listeners um we trust you are well in these furloughed unconventional times oh incidentally furloughed um clearly is a thing for the uk but not much of the rest of the world um i was on a global call yesterday and um um, someone talked about furloughing and obviously the 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 facilitator started answering the question because they were also from the uk and then other people in the chat box are going what what's furloughed mean sorry and then when you explained it they were like well our governments aren't offering these benefits this is outrageous well there you go my friends well, it's it's a funny word, isn't it? I, there's various people who think it's um, furlong, um, which is quite interesting. Uh, in I mean, it's obviously from horse racing, I think. Yeah. Coming up to the final furlong now, and we're at Victor's Brooks, and one's fallen over, and we're coming up to the final hurdle now, and we're coming up to the furlough. I think that's... <laughs> Well, I thought it was funny at the time. It, no, no, very, very good, very good. Um, so this week, ladies and gentlemen, um, we um, uh, are going to talk about micromanagers, um, inspired, I think, in part because of the number of comments we had on last week's podcast, um, which was actually how to lead remote workers. But evidently, um, they want some more, don't they, JB? It's a hot potato. It's a very, very hot potato. And I think it's well worth spending some time just talking about putting that subject into the spotlight. And probably, you know, maybe when we all get back to some sense of normality, perhaps it's time for the micromanager to retire. Oh, controversial. The irony is, of course, I suspect the majority of people listening to this podcast are not the target audience for this episode. But hopefully this will resonate with you. And if you lead leaders, which I'm sure many of you do, these are probably things to look out for for your managers that report into you. Um, And just to give you a slight bit of context, um, we had a number of conversations um, with people last week. Um, in advance of us publishing last week's podcast, but after we recorded it, where people were saying, I'm really struggling with this isolation. 
And they obviously ran off a whole host of reasons. And by the way, if you're listening to this podcast in two or three years' time, we're currently in the COVID-19 lockdown. Um, but, um, you know, this isolation period is anxious enough as it is, but it's being made worse because my line manager is expecting things instantly because otherwise they just think that I'm not working at all. I'm sat at home twiddling my thumbs or playing with the kids and other bits and pieces. Um, and that came out loud and clear last week um, to me in conversations. And um, subsequently, we thought we'd, to JB's point, put them in the spotlight with the hope of then kicking them out the spotlight for good. Or maybe there is a realisation for some of these micromanagers that if they don't change their ways, if business transformation ends in the direction of virtual leadership being a common thing rather than a minority thing, I think micromanagers will not survive this period. But there we go. Well, uh, I think we should uh, prod it and poke it and ask some uncomfortable questions about, is it appropriate ever to be a micromanager? And if that is the case, why? Why would you micromanage? And what are the types of people that tend to micromanage? And what are the types of people who actually quite like being micromanaged? Uh, where that kind of weird dependency happens. Uh, interesting your point about uh, we are broadcasting this during a corona crisis. Mm. This could be a corona classic one day when people look back at all the broadcasts and the things going on at that time and they'll, they'll look back on this and think, oh my God, those guys, they really, really banged out some quite interesting stuff. On that point, and did you know that a corona... Uh, it is the, the gases, the gaseous atmosphere of the sun. No. A gaseous atmosphere. I so thought it was either a bottled beer or the lemonade you used to get in glass bottles in the 80s. Oh. Well, I suppose it comes in many different formats, but its original, it, its original um, idea was that it, it's the gases uh, around the sun, the gaseous atmosphere. So I think we should do our best to create a, a true true gaseous atmosphere that people will remember this corona broadcast uh, for the rest of their lives a gassy atmosphere lovely a gaseous a gaseous atmosphere uh, that that's a corona nice. uh, particularly the, the gaseous atmosphere around the sun wowee um, so I, I guess um, where I would like to start this today um, is um, maybe um, giving some context to what we mean by a micromanager. Um, and I can sum it up probably in a single sentence, which is a micromanager is one that likes to manage the process as opposed to the results. Because they think if the process is managed in the right way, the results should come for themselves. <clears throat> How does that sound as a starting point? I think that's a that's a um, lovely definition, and um, I think they might claim that uh, it's all about the results, but I think there's all sorts of reasons why they cling on to the process, and uh, the conversations that they have tend to be about uh, the tasks and nothing else but uh, the tasks, rather than the outcomes. They become obsessed with the control of these things. Mm. So I want to, um, as part of this, get into the, the kind of makeup of a, of a micromanager um, and think about how on earth did you end up as one of these? What, what led you to become a micromanager 
rather than anything else. So uh, I want to explore that a little bit uh, during this podcast uh, because I think there's a sort of flip side to this. The behaviours and styles of a micromanager, if you get uh, the match right, you will get a perfect partner uh, to the micromanager, uh, which is an incredibly compliant uh, and subservient other side to that coin. And they, you, you, you go into this fantastic marriage, uh, this codependency, uh, which a lot of people get stuck in. Uh, but there are lots of there are lots of different ways and reasons why people become micromanagers at work. So I want to explore that a little bit, yeah. not just the, the, not just what it looks like at work, but how the hell did they get themselves into that situation in the first place, and how come people are actually prepared to be micromanaged more than should be actually. I think we, we have to be careful, or I have to be careful, I don't discriminate here against certain generations. Um, but certainly when I talk to my dad, um, micromanagement um, seemed to be the much more common style of doing things back then, um, as he would, those were his words, not mine. Um, and actually empowering others thinking was a liability rather than um, an opportunity. Uh, so I wonder how much of the 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 modern manager has carried on the legacy of the behaviours of the people that they looked up to when they were in their junior roles 20 years ago or so. By the way, can I just pause and say, if there is any big crash in the background, JB is aware that there is building work going on just outside my house where I'm staying at this week. So apologies in advance for any smashing around. Who'd have thought they were going to work during this lockdown? But there you go. You're uh, currently living in a in a service department. Uh, I just want to check, Anne. There, there is no danger that they're actually going to take a swing uh, towards your <laughs> service department. I mean, you're not you're not part of the demolition uh, process, as far as you're aware. What, what a way to go, though. If I was um, all recorded for your listening pleasure, <laughs> one way to escape the corona. Uh, that that is a that is a that is an option. But hopefully, they don't get too close. So uh, let's let's then explore this kind of idea that uh, we have a kind of leftover from um, various world wars that happened, and a lot of people you know, have some pretty strong theories about this. Uh, that uh, during, particularly during the Second World War, we had this kind of control and command. Uh, when I say that, in terms of um, timing, it's closer, obviously. Uh, to the kind of 90s, 1950s, 1960s, when a lot of people came back from the Second World War and imposed more control and command on organisations and, and felt that that was a kind of normal way of doing things. And I, and I think that is definitely associated uh, with this concept of, of micromanagement. Uh, you know, why, why did these people feel that they needed to do that? Uh, well, we needed to rebuild and we needed to rebuild fast. Uh, and... I speak to a lot of people around the world uh, about why they have become micromanagers, that kind of moment when, of realisation, like, oh, my God, I'm a micromanager. Um, I'm, I'm hugely directive um, and I'm, I'm not able to break out of it. And when you, when you start actually investigating 
what this is all about, uh, it is a sense of control. Uh, and it, it's it, it it's so obvious uh, when when they kind of had that have that moment of realization. But the, the the challenge is how the hell do I get out of it? How do how do I stop being this micromanager? Because I've taught all my butterflies to fly in formation with me, um, and I'm scared of them doing their weird thing and flying off in all sorts of different directions, which just might make something more interesting. They're taking more risks. They're uh, innovating. Um, some of these things don't work, uh, but I don't want that to happen on my watch. I'm too scared uh, because the pressure on me is so enormous to keep getting this right. I've got to focus on the finer detail. I've got to look uh, at every task that happens in my team. Otherwise, uh, my credibility, my reputation is at risk. I, I have this conversation, I don't know about you, Ant, with, with lots of people. How, how can I change this? How can I get out of this? I think this is a question that we need to attempt to answer. It's, it's a good point um, because I guess the self-analytical, the self-conscious amongst the leadership community that recognise that they have this problem um, at least are halfway there to solving it. Um, I think there are some managers who delude themselves into thinking that their way is actually the better way. And unfortunately, I have met managers in my recent career who we've tried to work with to try and get them over this codependency thing. The, the, the challenge you have, of course, is it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you micromanage people, they leave. But their replacement will need micromanaging for the first three to six months. I say micromanaging, they will need your handholding, your support. But when they get to six months in, once they pass their probation, if you have deemed them as to be capable to do this job as, on a permanent basis, at that point, you should be scrutinising how much handholding they need to keep them in the business. Um, because if you do micromanage, you will always have that continuous carousel conveyor belt of new joiners which therefore will make that behavior of yours be justified for even longer well i have to work like this because all my people are new well yes agreed but therefore why don't you look at ways to retain them better for longer which means you may do less of that and the irony is of course in all of this the longer you are a micromanager the more exhausting it is for you as a manager as well, because you are having to think and make decisions on behalf of all of your direct reports, which I can tell you from personal experience, when I had to make that leap, as you say, JB, into, into the unknown of what happens if I allow someone else to make that decision for me, what does it do for me? Well, it, actually, it frees up your thinking. Now, don't get me wrong. There are times when you first do that, and even now for me to some point, is where I have done the opposite end of the spectrum and in complete empowerment and maybe someone is a bit misguided in their own decision making, it's at that point you step back in. But until you've done the stepping away from this codependency behaviour, this you, you need to empower their thinking, um, it's actually as exhausting for you as it is for them, to my mind. Yeah, um, and I... Uh Recently, I've been um, reading quite a lot of stuff on attachment theory, um, the works of uh, John Bowlby and uh, Mary Main um, and Mary Salter Ainsworth. And, and this has really got me thinking about uh, the whole kind of makeup 
uh, and styles of people who will tend to micromanage more than others and why they might be attractive as managers to others. And there's a, there's a kind of yin and a yang here of these different styles. And I thought it'd be useful just to explore those a little bit. And I think if, if, if you can imagine four kids, not difficult for you or me, uh, and uh, whether, whether we identify any of these traits in our own children, um, <laughs> maybe we'll keep quiet. Um, but, uh, you know, some of this stuff, as we know, uh, in the way that people turn up at work, you know, the presentation of themselves at work is born out of their experiences right up to that moment from childhood, from school, uh, and from university and, and other bosses and so on. You know, all of, all of this is, is kind of, uh, the mood music. It, it's what, it's what they turn up with. And so, you know, when you, when you think about how you were attached to your mum, um, and, you know, was it was it a good attachment? Uh, was it a not so good attachment, mum or dad, really? Uh, you know, the, the secure attachment, uh, the child in that case uh, would be more confident, um, more comfortable um, with themselves and others. Um, they would they would be able to comfortably be independent. Um, and they, they would be good at close relationships with others, you know, forming and keeping good relationships um, and also able to be autonomous. So, you know, you can actually send them off to go and work on, you know, cleaning their bike or something um, and they'd be able to manage all of that. Um, and, you know, maybe take some risks as well uh, because they know that the attachment with their parent uh, is, is loose and tight. Um, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's quite tight and, and there's some sort of uh, boundaries and some clarity need, that need to be put in place. But other times, because there's a kind of environment uh, of trust and good nurturing uh, with this parent, uh, that attachment uh, doesn't have to be enforced all the time. But there is an attachment, had a good attachment in their lives, uh, will go on to be able to be attached uh, either as as a as a manager or a direct report more comfortably. Um, you, you've then got the you know thinking about our four kids. So if, you know if that is the secure one, um, if we're thinking about the uh, the one that's probably a little bit more um, anxious, ambivalent, um, you know, preoccupied, insecure with other things. You know, this child is not going to be able to form um, relationships uh, in quite the way that the secure one is. They might be jealous uh, and fearful uh, of others and thinking, how, how can you have that attachment? I don't have that. Um, their, their relationships, conversely, can be quite dependent uh, on, the, on the parent. And they, come, they don't want to admit that. Um, and... It, but we know that actually, underneath it all, they are actually incredibly dependent on that parent. Mm. Uh, they try to control things. Uh, they will try and smother others. Um, and if there is a, a challenging relationship in the room or in the space, their response will probably be more about anger um, than, than the others. You know, they, it's just going to go straight to anger. Um, bang, in it goes. Um, so, you know, we've got these other kind of 
anxious attachments. Uh, the third is is kind of more dismissive, um, and the dismissive is uncomfortable with intimacy and closeness, um, and their relationships with others are likely to be more superficial, uh, detached, or distant. Uh, they, they don't they don't easily trust others. Not a, not a great load of trust there. And the fourth is is kind of like a, a disorganized uh, attachment. It's kind of maybe combinations of all of those things. It, it's uh, irrational. It's confused. It's contradictory. It's difficult to read. They can't read very well, um, and they kind of disassociate uh, from the norm. Uh, they go off on one into a, into a different world. And the reason I'm talking about these four, I'll just repeat those back just so that we kind of remember what they're. So they're secure, anxious, dismissive, and disorganized. These four um, attachment styles. And, and when we think about um, a team and we're thinking about micromanaging, some of those styles are going to go into some difficulty uh in being given responsibility for themselves and to learn develop and take on the responsibility for those things themselves the the one that is most secure is the one that is likely to resist micromanaging most we would we would think of that in in management as high skill high will uh, you know, these these people had had a good experience of being attached. Um, but the others, the anxious and the dismissive, not such a great experience of, of that and might kick into either controlling others or being controlled. Yeah. On the complementary side to that point of view, I guess the people that attract us most to hire to be successful as a remote leader are those self-starters, those self-motivated people, those self-sufficient people that can get on with the tasks. And you know when you ask them to do it, they do it effectively. They always bring it back in time. In fact, nine times out of ten, they bring it back sooner than you need. And therefore, um, there is almost this trust in them that it works fine. But there are others in your team that maybe do need that closer reassurance, those people that haven't been able to ride their bike as long. And um, if you have too many of the latter versus the former, you can be forgiven for that way of thinking. But of course, the question to you is on this podcast is how many of those people can transition into a self-sufficient, self-motivated space? Because the truth is, the reality now is that we're going to have to empower and trust these people to do their jobs because we can't micromanage them like we used to do. We have to empower them. Um, with some of the um, uh, leadership work we're doing internally where I work at the moment, we're talking a lot about trust and communication being critical to remote working. Um, and those two go hand in hand. And actually, engagement and productivity also go in hand in hand. If your people are disengaged, if they're sat anxious because you've not responded to that email in sufficient time to say you're doing a good job or you're not recognizing them um, because you can't really 
they can't judge whether you are agree- happy with what they're doing because in their mind, you might be thinking as a manager, no news is good news. You're only going to tell them there's something wrong. But actually on the flip side, they might be sat on the receiving end of no communication, thinking I'm about to be fired. They're plotting to get me out. And that can cause massive issues. So communication and trust JB talks about this regularly around high trust teams equals high performing teams. Those words are no stronger and needed in a remote environment. And micromanagers give the impression to their direct reports there is a lack of trust in the direct report's competence to do their job. And therefore, <clears throat> what you need to be thinking about now are those two words, trust and communication. Because if you empower them, if you trust their competence, if you believe their intentions are good to do the right things, and the diggers have just started, you might be able to hear them in the background. Um, <laughs> um, if all of that is going well, they will be engaged. And of course, then that will have a knock-on effect to productivity. But you can debilitate someone's competence by giving them insufficient communication because they don't know what they're doing, if it's the right thing, and they don't know whether it's effective. And then they start to over-critique themselves, their audience in their head takes over their mind, and they can't do anything anymore, so productivity drops. So trust and communication go hand in hand as a partnership that should be very, very powerful. Um, And that trust needs to be demonstrated in the communication that you do, that you believe they have capability. This isn't right for everybody, because of course, some of you are gonna have new joiners, which does require some instruction. But then secondly, think about consciously how engaged your people are in your team right now. And those socially shy people are perhaps the ones that are crying out for help, but don't ask for help because they know you to be a micromanager. And actually, they just want to keep themselves themselves, but they really do want help. But they're scared of telling you there's something wrong. So trust and communication and engagement and productivity for me are the the four words that I think bring together um, a empowering non-micromanager. I, I, I want to underpin that uh, with this idea of healthy attachment and unhealthy attachment. Because regardless of whether you have a, let's call it a directive style, or a non-directive style of management, you you will have an attachment uh, with your direct report. And, and, and it's how loose or how tight that attachment actually is. That is dependent on the trust that you create, the environment of trust. So the, the, the child who feels most secure with that attachment is because they've built the parent has built a higher level of trust and you end up with let's 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 take the words from from that attachment theory and put it onto an employee uh, a direct report wouldn't it be great if all direct reports were confident comfortable with themselves, Daniel, comfortable come here. with others. Sorry. Oh, oh, hello. We're going to do a little. Oh, my God, he's big. Hello. Oh my goodness, he's so big. Say hello. Hello. 
Does Daniel, hello. In 20 minutes. Can he hear me? Can't hear me. Hello. Hang on a minute. We got, done him. We, got, we got Daniel with some a lot more hair than what I saw last. Oh, hello. Hello. Can you hear me? Can you hear? He's got the headphones on. He can hear you. Which is probably slightly bigger than him. Daniel, and he's looking say at, hello. And it's looking, it's like looking at Ant, um, only an ant that's about a year old. Um, but he's got the same kind of eyes. He's got that you sort of buttons. slightly bemused look. And he's wearing a lovely little pyjama top with cars on it. Lots of different colours. He's now he's now about to destroy Ant's mic. That's probably he's, got, <laughs> he's got his little hand round it. He's going to take it off. Oh, Daniel, there we go. say bye-bye. So can we say bye-bye? Thank you for your input. It's been marvellous. Thank you. Oh, funny, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Boring. Drawing. Oh, he's drawing. That's what he's saying. Oh, he's drawing. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Very interesting. To know what he's drawing. All right. Well, anyway, I'll, 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 um, I'll take his headphones. Talk about attachment theory. He's got attached to your headphones and your desk now. Yes, he has. <coughs> he has. Say bye-bye. Jolly good ears. He's got good ears. Bye-bye. Oh, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Say see ya. See ya. See ya later. Daniel, say see ya. See ya. See ya. There you go. 18-month-old that can say the occasional words. Say night-night. 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 Anyway. So cool. He's so big. He's he is. so big. He is, yeah. Big little fella. 15 minutes, is that right? Oh, that Okay. Cool. I'm in his, I'm in his room. Ah, that sense. I did message her to say I'm booking his bedroom as a studio. <laughs> anyway, Listen, where were you've we? Got of, you've got a lot of pressure on your studios. Um, I was just um, thinking about uh, that, that kind of line of attachment that you have with your manager and your direct report. And uh, you, we know that sometimes it's looser and sometimes it's tighter. It has to be. And that's where sometimes uh, we get into this kind of micromanagement and it becomes a codependency and you can't get out of it. Um, but if if we have uh, people in our team that have a secure attachment uh, to us, it's a secure one, uh, then we have built a strong uh, level of trust uh, between us and them. Uh, they are then more likely to be confident, uh, comfortable with themselves, uh, comfortable with others, uh, they are prepared to take risks because we have given that, them that agency. Uh, they are likely to be independent thinkers uh, and they will go on to form other relationships, possibly uh, attachments, um, and they are much more able to be autonomous. So these are, these are the benefits of a secure attachment that we want with our people. If, on the other hand, we have the other conditions of people feeling anxious because there isn't a high level of trust, uh, they feel that they need to compete with others in the team, they're jealous of them, uh, wherever possible they try and take control at the beginnings of their own micromanaging, uh, possibly um, we have others in our team who are, who are just dismissive. And they just they just can't 
understand uh, their own reactions or emotions to others, uh, and they can be perceived as distant or detached. Um, the the ideal uh, way to break the micromanagement uh, setup in a team uh, is to have a conversation about that attachment and really, really work out what you need to know about this individual, what they need to focus on, and, and to demonstrate how you value them um, and to give them the opportunity to, to take more responsibility over time. Like it. No focus value. Know me, focus me, and value me. Uh, these are really, it's a fantastic agenda for a great conversation about how we have conversations around here, how, how we can actually uh, work this. But I think there is, for those who have got caught up in greater forms of, of micromanaging, to get out of it, sometimes you've got to have a, a reboot. Uh, and to be brave enough to take that person out of the environment they're in and to say, I think we need to have a conversation about how we have conversations because this isn't working for me. And, you know, that is that is a big a big deal for some. Yeah. It's sometimes it's the only way uh, to break uh, that codependency uh, and to start afresh and to, to lay down how you want this person to be. And, and it's developmental and it's also reputational. It's how you want them um, to feel that they can actually do something about learning and performing and developing for themselves with your support. And how, how you want to uh, pass that responsibility to them so that you can provide them with more resources, not less. There's another factor as well, which is important in all of this. And, and it is that the, the micromanager doesn't necessarily have all the answers and the best way of doing things. And by suppressing the other person's abilities, particularly their ability to think and to act on that thinking, uh, you're stifling their learning, you're stifling their energy, uh, and you are also stifling your own. And some people just get stuck in this situation. Really talented people in management um, get absolutely caught here uh, and can never, it seems, escape it. But it, it is possible to release yourself from this but it involves courage uh, and it involves being brave and actually just saying, this isn't working uh, for me. I think we need to have a reboot. I think we need to have a conversation. In your back pocket, have your, have your notes, have your thinking prepared around the subjects of know me, focus me, value me, uh, because that's what they want from you. They might not have expressed it, um, but when they take more responsibility for their learning, performance, and development, that's what they'll need from you, that you know them, you focus them, and you value them. Amen to that. I think 
we're we're nearly at the end of our topic on this, are we not, JB? I think um, is there what else is there? Um, well, I think I think the alternative uh, to you know micromanagement and the joy, actually. Uh, of allowing people to flourish. I thought you were going to say the joy of micromanagement then. <laughs> no, uh, the, joy, the joy of seeing people flourish uh, when they have hitherto been unable to, to, to flourish uh, because they have felt uh, trapped maybe uh, by, by an overbearing management style, uh, that they become more creative. Um, there's more innovation from them greater steps uh, towards risk-taking and innovating and doing things differently. And I know this from my own experience of managing people, that it's so exciting. Uh, it, it's it's such a brilliant thing to see people flourish, even if they have to make a few mistakes along the way. And when you create the culture where they can do that, within the boundaries and conditions that you've discussed in that big conversation that you've had, that to, to my mind, there is nothing more exciting, nothing more exciting than that if you give a shit about people. If you don't, then this podcast is a waste of space for you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there is hopefully some takeaways from this podcast that means that you can, in theory, use this opportunity whilst your team are remote to reset ways of working with your people. So if you do feel you are perhaps in that category of being a micromanager, why not take some of the pointers that JB's given around know me, focus me, value me questions, take some of the thinking around how good your communication is and how well you empower and trust your people, how much time you spend holding their hand to ride their bike when they can ride their bike already versus empowering their thinking and linking engagement and productivity together. See what that does for you as a result of listening to this podcast, because just because you may be a micromanager now does not mean that you can transform the way you do things. But as JB says, there is this eureka moment, I feel, when you are making this transformation, which we've I think we've all been there as a new manager. Sometimes we just think that it's just about instructing other people what to do. Um, but there is this eureka moment when you discover that actually people have the potential to think for themselves. And not only does it free up your thinking, it shows you to be a better leader rather than a taskmaster and manager. Well, I'd like to just tail um, the, the bit about uh, building building that level of trust in those conversations. And, and we, we've got one thing in one back pocket, uh, which is know me, focus me, value me. In your other back pocket, uh, I would um, like you to think about how how do I create the conditions where this person feels um, that I care about them, that I am capable as a manager. So uh, I'm capable of, of managing and doing what's right for the business and them. I'm, I'm good at getting that balance right. That my style is consistent. I have a consistent, I don't fly off the handle. Uh, I, don't, I don't get into angry, um, states and passive-aggressive territory, I am consistently good in the way that I um, nurture this uh, secure relationship um, and that I have a great level of candor. I am honest. Even, even if it's going to be uncomfortable for, for this person, 
I will will be honest. These are conditions that are really important uh, for people to feel that level of trust. They're the four C's. Um, so I'll just repeat those back. So um, my manager cares, they are capable, they are consistent, uh, and they are they use candor. They are honest. Those, those are good four C's to how am I doing? Just check yourself, test yourself, and see how you're doing on those four C's along with know me, focus me, value me. These all the all the expectations of you as a manager to kick yourself out of that micromanaging uh, default position. Mm. Uh, make make the default position the opposite. And 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 I would always tell you that that's more likely uh, to be in the transformational zone. Uh, of mentoring uh, and coaching styles. Uh, but that's perhaps for another time. Huh. At some point, we need to reveal the results of our survey that we did, um, oh, which yes. feeds very much into this narrative. So um, we need to get some time. We Obviously, because of all this uh, COVID stuff, We've not had an opportunity to sit down as we were planning to do and go through all this data. But for listeners' benefit, we will promise to get that out to you in the next few weeks. And maybe uh, me and JB have a couple of sessions to go through all this data because there is a lot of it. Um, some really interesting insights there. But there is absolutely a link between retention and style of leadership. And I'd say micromanagers are very much in the instructional zone as opposed to the transformational zone. So um, you'll be pleased to hear, ladies and gents, that this is probably going to be the first podcast where we are comfortably under the hour mark. Isn't that lovely for our listeners, everybody? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. How did we manage to do that this time? Have we got no questions this weekend? No questions. No questions. Oh. I, I get the impression, because we're recording this only a few days after our last episode finally made it to market, that we've not given people a chance to do it yet. But no, no questions. So if you do have questions, ladies and gents, please do submit them, globalleadershippodcast.gmail.com or via our social media channels. But I have no questions this week. Um, but we do have lots of anecdotal, amusing stories for next week's podcast, which is where we're just doing a funny story special. Um, if you have a funny experience of managing people and you'd like to share that with us, we'd love you to send it in to the same places we've just talked about. Um, and we will share those stories anonymously or naming you as your request um, on next week's episode. Um, I would ask you, JB, what you're up to for the for the next few days. But like me, not a lot, I'm guessing, due to lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, the, the bamboo has finally been removed from the garden and I planted out a weeping pear, which I'm looking at right now. Um, oh, you so made that, it because you were going to put some explosives I, in the soil. I did. It? I exploded it. Um, it was highly risky. I had to put the dog inside and uh, it did. It did. It was quite dramatic. It was quite exciting. And then I got a drill to it, uh, a great big, huge masonry drill. It's about two foot long and a, about an inch and a half thick. Stuck that on my really powerful drill. And I just put it on pneumatic setting and just drilled this thing to death. Burnt it, drilled it, wow. dug it, pickaxed it. If, just, if you're ever, ever removing black bamboo from your garden, um, just just make sure that you've got a very, very large paraffin can, pickaxe, and a pneumatic drill. And next week we'll be reading about JB's letter that he received from the planning office where he's killed a tree when it had a tree preservation order in place. <laughs> 
yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, I'm, I'm 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 going to be uh, working on some stuff this week about how people return to work, and I, I'm being optimistic because you know at some time we all are going to be returning to work, and how are we going to go back? Uh, what do we What do we need to prepare ourselves with? How do we get our heads round? Uh, working when some people won't be there and some people will, and not because they've died, but because they the environments probably won't allow them to be there. You know, we're not all suddenly going to go straight back into the way we were doing things before. No. So culturally, uh, how do we do that? Uh, how's this going to affect uh, organisations? Uh, how's this going to affect, uh, you know, people's uh, confidence uh, and trust uh, you know, there's lots of things to really, really think about. So I'm, I'm writing loads of things on that and putting together some content. So that's going to keep me busy. Um, I've also got um, webinar stuff to um, focus on um, and get myself nicely prepared for that. And at the same time, I'm getting fit. I'm growing my hair long. I'm growing my beard. Um, it's very bushy, listeners. And um, it's all transformational listeners. I'm trying to be very, very positive through this, building some good routines, eating really well. And that doesn't mean lots, just eating healthily. Um, and, you know, trying to make the most of this pretty weird situation. Hope you can too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Well, um, on that note then, ladies and gents, thank you for listening as ever. Please do submit your questions. And of course, if you do like the podcast, please do leave us a review on your various podcast providers. We do appreciate the feedback. If you think we're rubbish, please send us an email rather than leaving a review. But if you think we're fantastic, leave that review. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, thank you for listening. And it's goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from me.